Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. It's time for the man who taught Vince Carter how to slam. You can't make this tough up. <laughs> the man whose three inspired the Curry family. Holds it up for three. It's- I don't exaggerate, I congratulate. It's time for you know who my man Seku. Cutting to the hole for the jam. It's Seku Smith's Hangtime Podcast. Take it away. Everyone's excited right now. Players, fans, anyone basketball related loves this time of year. Maybe the most exciting and unpredictable seasons ever. The stars are out. The future looks bright. Everybody's going to be interested in seeing what the future face of the NBA looks like. Major moves over the summer. It is the most significant summer in NBA history. Breaking news. There is major movement. Kemba Walker, Jimmy Butler, D'Angelo Russell, Al Horford. New faces in new places. Another summer stunner. We wondered what duo would come together. Kevin Durant reportedly headed to the Brooklyn Nets. Joining Kevin Durant in Brooklyn, Kyrie Irving. Russell Westbrook is off to Houston, where he'll reunite with James Harden. Harden sets him up perfectly. What else can possibly happen this summer? Breaking news, Kawhi Leonard is now a member of the Los Angeles Clippers. And he's not going alone. Paul George joining him in La La Land. That may be the greatest show on earth. We're talking dynamic duo. The King and the Brow are now teammates. Of course it's championship or bust. Arguably the biggest topic of the show, the battle of L.A. The fans in L.A. going to be torn. Do we root for our hometown Lakers or do we root for our hometown boys who grew up in L.A.? Fasten your seatbelts for going down to the wireless Staples Center. The legend of LeBron. The West is going to be crazy. Who is coming out of the East? Oh, it's Under the He really is a freak. Can you guys remember a year where you've got the East and the West so wide open? I can't predict who's going to win either conference. Feel the intensity. Everybody feel like they got a realistic shot at winning the championship. This has a chance to be one of the best NBA seasons, I think, in the last five, six years. We're back, baby. The NBA is back on your calendar. Opening night is out of the way. Welcome back to the Hangtime Podcast. Sekou Smith here. I'm going to talk with my main man, Sean Powell, about everything you saw in L.A. last night and preview the teams that we think can win a championship. We're also going to talk to uh, John Schumann about NBA power rankings, kicking off the season around the league in Eastern Conference. Sean, 
I, I just want to first commend you for waking up as early as you did on the West Coast. Um, I barely woke up here on the East Coast at a decent hour. You just got out of Staples. Um, describe that atmosphere, though, for people uh, in, the, in the Battle of L.A., the city championship, whatever they want to call it out there. Just how strange an environment that is for the Clippers to be playing a home game with Lakers fans making the majority of the noise, it seemed like, all night. Yeah, I would probably say the, the mix-up of the crowd was 70-30 Clippers fans, but the Lakers fans were louder. And it's very odd. I don't <laughs> think you can go to an NBA arena where the other team's star player, LeBron James in this case, hears MVP chance at the free throw line. And I don't know if you can go to an NBA arena where your star player takes the microphone before the game and just kind of welcomes the crowd and things like that, and he hears booths. So that's what Kawhi Leonard heard at Staples Center last night. It shows you what the Clippers are up against, Sekou. Uh, it's, even though they have Kawhi Leonard and they have Paul George, who didn't play, but you know Paul George is in the fold, and even though they enter this season as probably the, um, the favorites for the NBA championship, they're battling Laker history. They're battling Laker tradition in their own building, which they share with the Lakers. Uh, so in addition to playing against LeBron James and Anthony Davis, you got to play against those 16 championship trophies. You got to play against your own history. You're battling your own history, your own stigma. And I think the Clippers found out in a very awkward and strange way what they're up against when they played the Lakers at Staples Center and the whole house wasn't for them. It, it was such a uh, interesting game, though. I mean, and you know, at the end of three, it's tied at eighty-five. You know, goons like me who don't have to write on deadline are saying, "Man, I, this thing go to overtime." I'm all you know, because you just want to keep watching. But I go back to the beginning of that game, and I and I'm looking at Instagram and social media, and people are taking shots of the the arena, and somebody took a shot of the, I guess it was on the uh, video board where it says grit over glam, squad over self, we over me, street lights over spotlights. Like, is is that a, a real thing out there where the Clippers are trying to craft this narrative that, hey, we're the, we're the blue-collar team in, in this city, and, and they're kind of using that as their leverage, their maybe better mental leverage, um, maybe the chip that they need to, to go at the Lakers and battle them for the hearts and minds of those fans out there. I think the strategy began when Kawhi Leonard and Paul George were introduced in their, in their press conference this summer. It was held in July in South Central L.A. Uh, at, a recreation, at a youth recreation center. That was a curious mm-hmm. strategy to hold your introductory press conference there rather than the confines of your own practice facility or maybe a Beverly Hills hotel. I think the message was clear. The Clippers are going for all of L.A., Okay, the hardworking part of L.A., the blue collar part of L.A. And I think a a lot of fans saw that with the marketing ploy before the game. You know, it's really a poke in the eye of the Lakers because the Lakers for a long time have been the glamorous franchise. You know, you know, they're pretty, you know, they're entertaining Hollywood and all that. Well, the Clippers want to go and just sort of represent, uh, you know, another neglected part of L.A. You also see it with their. Uh, I think there's city jerseys that they're going to wear this year with the, yeah, with the yeah. street Los Angeles, you know, on the, uh, on the front of the Jersey. I think they wore that on the cover of sports illustrated. 
so all of this is planned, pre-planned, uh, because the Clippers want, in addition to wanting to beat the Lakers, they want to represent Los Angeles a little bit better than they have in the past. And also consider Seku that they're building their, well, once they get past the environmental issues and also James Dolan and the forum, they're going to put the, you know, the shovel in the ground for that new arena in Englewood, California. So uh, this is Steve Ballmer's way of getting a healthy slice of the marketplace in Los Angeles. Obviously, you have to win to do that. Obviously, you have no championship trophies yet, so you got to start building. But this is their way to get the ball rolling in that direction. Yeah, I, I'll be honest with you, Sean. I, I wrote a note to myself um, at the end of the third quarter. I, I pushed back on this in in the last seven months or so. Uh, you know, people have talked about, well, Kawhi is the best player in the league. And I was like, hold on with that. Slow down. Like, let's let's make sure we have a clear head when we talk about the pecking order of players in this league. After that game, Sean, I, I started to ask myself, like, are you sure you're not ready to say that, yeah, this dude is the most complete dominant force in the league? If you look at what he did in the finals – you look at how he gets whatever he wants when he wants it on the floor with AD and LeBron, where you got three of the what top five, top ten players in the league, and he was a cut above. Is, uh, is it time to give Kawhi his due as the best player in the league? I don't know if I'll go that far, uh, but I think I'll mm-hmm. come close. Um, you know, yeah. I think Giannis is still there because uh, um, you know, look, the different players. You know, obviously, if you compare uh, Kawhi to a healthy uh, Kevin Durant, I mean, look, we we can go on and on about that conversation, but he right. but he's definitely in the conversation. And if someone wanted to anoint him the best player, I would have no serious uh, blowback on that. Uh, I think you saw last night. First of all, what Kawhi has done is he has really locked down that mid range game. You know, to the point where he's almost unguardable at that position. And, uh, and of course, he's a very good three-point uh, three shooter also. And, of course, consider that he played that game without Paul George. What happens when Paul George comes back and those two develop some chemistry? Uh, finally, and I asked Paul George this in the preseason, I said, because you and Kawhi can play both ends of the court equally well, does that make you the best duo in the NBA? And Paul George said, yeah. You know, because when you look at some of the other so-called great players in the NBA, they only play one end of the floor. You know, obviously Giannis is, you know, as an exception, a couple others are exceptions, but, you know, they don't have that sort of balance. But anyway, getting back to Kawhi, it was a statement game for him last night. He had to have a good game. Uh, I I think it it was his, you know, his coronation in Los Angeles. And I, I think he was really, although he'll never show it, of course, and he'll never express it, but I think he was really up for that game, and it showed. 30 points, very efficient game, didn't make any mistakes, got his teammates involved, played good defense, uh, had some decent blocks. So uh, I, I think what you saw from Kawhi is probably what you're going to see from Kawhi the rest of the season. Yeah, he was brilliant. And I, and I think what we saw from the Clippers, Sean, um, they scored twice as many second chance points as the Lakers. Um, they waxed them in fast break points. Um, and, and they had 41 bench points more than what the Lakers could produce. That The depth, the quality of that depth, Doc Rivers' ability to keep those guys locked in and focused even after they started off the game rough, 
to me, it's, it's such a, a simple but effective formula that the Clippers will use this year. They're going to play that same way night after night. Now, I'm, you know, they won't have the same emotion necessarily packed around other opponents. But if that's their DNA, if that's the kind of team they're going to be, it makes sense that people are talking about them being there when a championship is on the line. I, they're going to be an extremely difficult out come playoff time because of all those things. And like you mentioned, we didn't even see them with Paul George last night. They have other elements we haven't even seen yet. Yeah, and you know, I think the uh, the unforgotten player in this whole mix is Lou Williams. Uh, you know, again, yeah, consi- right. consider last season. First of all, he averaged 20 points a game off the bench, and he only averaged, I think, 26 minutes, 25, 26 minutes a game. Okay, so also consider how well he played against the Warriors in the first round of the playoffs last year. He had a couple uh, games with 30 or more points and really – you know, carry the team on his back when they needed key buckets at the end of those games. And then last night he comes in, comes off the bench, bam, 21 points, takes over the scoring void, uh, you know, left because Paul George is not in the mix. Uh, and, you know, he was a factor and a problem for the Lakers. So, you know, look, Seku, this shouldn't be that much of a surprise. This is the Clippers returned four uh, core players from a team last year that won 48 games. You know, Montrez Harrell, who's playing for the bag, by the way. Uh, you know, you, you got uh, Lou Williams, Landry Shamit, uh, Zubac, um, you know, Patrick Beverly, of course. If you saw how Patrick Beverly was all in LeBron's grill, irritating. And Le- Le- LeBron yeah. did not have an efficient game, did not shoot well. Uh, and, you know, I, look, I don't know what the point breakdown was when Patrick Beverly was guarding him. He didn't guard him the whole game. But Patrick, Patrick Beverly's set a tone right from the start. And you, you could see Patrick Beverly's expression at the final buzzer. This guy thought he had just won the NBA championship. He's running around the court <laughs> with a sneer and throwing fists in the air and things like that. It meant a lot. He wanted to set the tone for the team that every game's important. And you can best believe whenever they play, the Lakers going to be important. Now, Seku, again, Kyle Kuzma's not on the floor. Okay. Paul George is not on the floor. I think Christmas Day is going to be the, really the, a good temperature check for this. I'm not going to call it a rivalry because, you know, it, it, it has never been a rivalry. But it's a good temperature check for what the Lakers and Clippers are right now. It's the first legitimate one. Right. Um, looking at the rest of the West, Sean, um, I, you know, I was in Denver for media day and – you know, you start sizing up these other contenders in the West, and I think there are many more than we've had in the past. Like Denver's legit, Utah's legit, you know, Portland, I think a lot of people are wondering about them. I think they're legit. You got the Clippers and the Lakers. I mean, the West is stacked. We don't, you know, and that's not even to mention what the Warriors could or might be this year with all of the change they've had. But where where are you at in terms of pecking order in the Western Conference? and how you see the breakdown just in terms of going into the season, who fits where? Well, I think, you know, you have to add the Lakers. They weren't in the playoffs last year. And yet not only have to add them, you have to add them with an exclamation point because obviously they're going to be up there at the top. You know, you got the two L.A. teams. You know, people forget that the the Trailblazers went to the Western Conference Finals last year. Uh, never sleep on the Spurs. I'm not saying that they're going to be a, a title contender, but they've got DeJounte Murray back. 
Uh, Walker is a much better player than he was last year, and he also was a little bit hurt last year. Uh, so, mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're going to be sneaky. But obviously, the, you know, the Denver Nuggets, um, look, I mean, they're my pick to finish with the best record in the West. Uh, their depth, uh, Jokic, Murray, um, you know, Gary Harris might have a bounce back year. They play good defense. Uh, they've got a heck of a home court advantage. Uh, and, and plus, I don't think, you know, in, in this era of time management, I think that's going to affect the, the Denver Nuggets less than it will, will the Lakers, uh, less than maybe the Clippers, uh, and maybe some other teams uh, in the West that will probably, you know, rest their stars. And that might cost them, a, you know, a peg or two in, in the standings. But I think they don't care because they want to be held. Like the Lakers, it's much more important for LeBron James after eight, 17 years of wear and tear on his body to be healthy and not, not to win 60 games. I don't think that's their goal. Same thing with Anthony Davis, who has a history of, you know, health issues. So, you know, when you, when you put all that into the mix, I can see Utah right up there because they're not going to rest that many players. I can see Denver right up there because of the same reason. Uh, but that doesn't mean they're going to be the team standing when June rolls around because then you got to hit the reset button on the season because nobody's resting in the playoffs, of course. Yeah. yeah. Sean, I, I overlooked them or, or failed to mention them. And I think a lot of people will kind of have that same attitude about this, this team in Houston that probably should be right in that mix at the top. I mean, Chris, Chris Paul and James Harden were able to do it. Why wouldn't Harden and Russell Westbrook be able to contend in the West? Like people are going to make arguments why they don't work. I'm, I can't figure out how they couldn't work together. You know, I just think that the, I think, they have the biggest swing factor of all the contenders. In other words, I I don't see other than barring injury, I don't see the Lakers really falling this year. They're going to be up there. Same with the Clippers, same with the Nuggets, whatever. But Houston has the biggest swing factor, biggest question. In other words, they could be very, very good or that may not work out. Uh, you know, I don't think there's really no in between with that team. I still come back to the central issue with the Rockets. Who plays off the ball? Someone's got to play off the ball. And until I see Russ play off the ball, be it a catch and shoot guy, okay, and he's coming off a season where he wasn't efficient, where he didn't shoot three pointers very well. Okay, when he worked best the last three years, even his MVP year, he worked best with the ball in his hand. He can control things. The same thing with James Harden. James Harden probably hasn't played off the ball since uh, Arizona State. You know, um, and I guess you can throw in a couple years with Oklahoma City, but that's it. I think habits yeah. ha- uh, habits are set with these two guys. And as much as they may like each other per- personally, that doesn't necessarily uh, guarantee that that same chemistry when you're out eating lunch and, and laughing with each other, that that same chemistry is going to spill over on the court. I'm not saying it's not going to work, but I'm also not saying, you know, that there's a guarantee it will work. I have to see it. Uh, I hate to be a skeptic because they're two dynamic players, even, you know, still. Uh, but I just really have to see that work before I, you know, say for sure they're going to be in that uh, championship hunt. 
Yeah. Who, who's the team, Sean, to you in the Western Conference? And, and it's hard to pick one in, in a conference where we think so many of the different teams can be playoff bound, potentially quality teams. Who are we sleeping on? Who are we not paying attention to in the West that has an opportunity to really do something this year that we don't expect? Well, I mean, you you you, you always have to look at some of the younger teams, uh, the Sacramento Kings, for example. Now, again, I don't know if we're if anybody's sleeping on them, uh, but you you know, but the, the young teams. It, it, you don't know if those young players are ready to make that leap. And, 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 th- and those leaps come without warning. Those breakout seasons where, yeah, they're pretty good, but are they going to be next level? And all of a sudden, they have a next level performance that season. So is De'Aaron Fox ne- next level? Uh, is he ready to push for an all-star berth? What about Buddy Heald? Is he ready to establish himself as maybe one of the top three outside shooters in the league, along with Bradley Bill? And I'm sure I'm missing somebody else in that mix. Is is this the year when he does that? I, we don't know. Uh, so um, they have upside. So I think you have to look at some of the teams and some of the players with upside. What about uh, Kristaps Porzingis uh, and Luka Doncic in, in Dallas? I don't know if those two players are ready to carry a team, an entire team, but are they ready to be next level? And so those are the questions that I'm asking. Uh, I, you know, look, if Zion Williamson doesn't get hurt, all right, miss what he's about to miss what a month, not well, somewhere around there, whatever. And he came out and was like gangbusters right from the start. Then I would probably say people would be sleeping on New Orleans Pelicans because that's an intriguing mix there that they have. But, you know, that's a question mark now. And we don't know how Zion's going to be. And then by extension, we don't know how New Orleans is going to be. Yeah. this. I mean, it's, it's such a crazy season. You know, we had this monstrous movement in, in free agency and in the offseason trades, everything. Um, I, I didn't know if we could get an opening night, Sean, that would live up to the offseason we had. But the Clippers, Lakers, they, they got everybody juiced. I'm talking my, my dad, at 70 plus years old, was texting me at like one o'clock in the morning, like laughing about how intense the game was. It was like a conference finals game. Um, I, I feel like the tone has been set, you know, with, with that opening night deal with Toronto getting rings, you know, on one side of the country, one side of North America, rather. And then, you know, the Lakers and the Clippers kind of previewing what we all suspect might be a collision course throughout the course of the regular season and then potentially in the playoffs in the West. Um, I hope you have found a very clever way to get to the Staples Center <laughs> because um, you're going to be there all, you're gonna be there all season. Like, you're going to be – you you got your hands full in LA. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're, you're you're right about that. Um, you know, uh, Staples Center is my my new home. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I actually should be thankful that they don't play in in, in you know separate arenas because you know now I'm, yes. I'm cross, crisscrossing all over LA during rush hour trying to get there. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, without a, without a doubt, man, St- Staples Center it was a very special place last night. Uh, it's going to be a special place this season. And, and what I hope for, say, and what everybody hope for, all the fans, regardless of, you know, whose team you're rooting for, is good health. And the season started out so, you know, so badly in that, in that sense with Zion Williamson news. Uh, so, um, and, and, you know, I hope that's not an omen. 
I want LeBron to be healthy. I want Anthony Davis. I want Kawhi. I want Paul. Because in the end, as basketball fans, we're all deprived when key, when any player is hurt, obviously, but particularly right. when key players are hurt. Um, I thought I thought last night was a was a good launch for the NBA season in spite of Zion Williamson not playing. Uh, if you're a baseball fan, uh, look, you're probably kicking yourself how you know, the, the NBA could upstage the game one of the World Series. Uh, that certainly was right. in a mix, but um, I thought it was a good start to the NBA. And, and, you know, look, as basketball fans and as basketball journalists, uh, let's hope that, you know, it stays this way. So we all have something to talk about and write about. No doubt. Listen, get you some rest, Sean. I know you you had about you on a, working on about a three hour turnaround. So <laughs> catch that cat nap, man, and enjoy it. And uh, we'll talk to you down the road. It's all worth it. Thanks, man. Welcome to the 2019 NBA Finals. Durant Cook, great cut. Pow! With a slam dunk on the feet. Let's go! Got your frozen in your tracks like your life's Pow! Shots good and one. Leonard driving down baseline left. Finds an angle, gets fouled. And challenge. Lowry lets it fly. And it's good. I'm a champion. Lays it in. Siakam scores again. Gets it to Van Vliet. Oh, he puts it in. Oh, pretty good right now. But you fly around with them. Here's Lowry. Feeds Siakam. Rolling down the post and scoring on the lane. The Raptors looking for their first lead. Of- Pulls the trigger oh, on boy. three and hits. Can't stop me. I'm a champion. Raise my hand in victory for the battles begun. Confidence separates. Losers and winners. Endurance separates. Pulls and beginners. Sean Powell on the West Coast. Uh, I, I call him our West Coast Bureau Chief for everybody that's listening. Um, we transitioned to the Eastern Conference and John Schumann, who's up in the tri-state area, keeping his eye on all things uh, Eastern Conference and around the league. So, Shu, you you were like everybody else. You saw the bling last night that the Raptors slid on their fingers. Um, but when we talk about the Eastern Conference and kind of forecast who might do what this season – I don't, nobody mentions the Raptors as being a factor. Um, are we overlooking them, or or is it proper to to assume that without Kawhi, they won't be a team that's in the mix? You know, I I have a a hard. I still have a hard time just putting them on the same level as Milwaukee and Philadelphia. Um, 
But the one thing I realized in watching them last night and also watching them in their last preseason game uh, against Brooklyn on Friday, which was a little bit of a, a dress rehearsal, is they have seven guys. Well, first of all, Nick Nurse only trusts these seven guys. He went, I think, the first 17 minutes of of that win over New Orleans playing only seven guys. And it's the seven rotation guys that are returning um, from last year's team. He clearly doesn't trust any of the new guys yet, although Terrence Davis uh, ended up getting some playing time um, in that game. And, you know, the, the, the sort of end of the bench guys that are returning aren't, aren't on, on, on that levels yet. So he trusts these seven guys, but those seven guys are good. And those seven guys know what they're doing. Um, and that's, and, and, and that includes Fred Van Vliet, who had an incredible game against New Orleans and just, man, a little dude just knows how to play. Like, I mean, yeah. I don't, I, I can't be the only person in this, uh, and only NBA fan who sort of lives vicariously through Fred Van Vliet because <laughs> he's this sort of little, not so athletic dude that just plays tough and, and, you know, gets to the basket, hits huge shots. Um, but yeah, even before we got to opening night, um, you know, after watching some of that game against Brooklyn, I raised my expectations with the rap for the Raptors just because of how good um, those seven guys looked and just how you know confident they play and how comfortable they are. Um, you know, they they're still like missing a little bit just when you compare them to Philly and, and Milwaukee. And I, and I can't wait to see them play those teams, and I can't wait to see them play Boston, which they do on on Friday night. Um, but I think they just have uh, championship DNA still in those sort of seven returning guys. I know Ananobi didn't play in the postseason last year, um, but he looked really good in the opener. I thought, you know, attacking off the dribble, um, shooting when he was open. Um, so I, I, you know, it's it's. I believe in them as a team that's going to win the games it's supposed to. Um, and is not going to sort of beat itself just because of, of how, how good that, that core group is, even without Kawhi Leonard and, and Danny Green. Yeah, I, I feel like we've all kind of separated the East into two categories. You know, we got Milwaukee and Philly as the, the leaders of the pack, and then everybody else in the East, we're just not sure where they fit in that pecking order going down. Um, are we right to separate Philly and Milwaukee in whatever order you have them based on what they did last year, what they have coming back and what they've added? Cause I, I like both those teams. They make sense to me. Just when we go into a season and we're trying to decide who has the kind of makeup, at least on paper, you know, before we see anybody really get into the meat of the NBA season, they look like the kinds of teams you expect to make the finals or at least the conference Yeah, I mean, finals. it's hard to put anybody else on their level. Just Philly is just so talented and so big. I mean, they have Embiid and Simmons and Horford just start right there. I mean, that is a tough and, and talented and, you know, Horford, I mean, you know, we've talked about Horford so much on this podcast. I, I think I think the world of that dude and just how smart he is and, and how much of a, a glue guy he is. Um, and then you get Richardson and Harris. Um, 
you know, that's, I mean, that's tough. And then Milwaukee, I mean, they had a, they were destroying teams in the preseason. Like, they, like I don't think Giannis Antetokounmpo knows the difference between a preseason game, a regular <laughs> season game, and a playoff game. I really don't. I think the dude He's just young. plays. And He's young. That's why I mean, he's so young yeah. still. And on his ascent, he yeah. doesn't care, which is a beautiful thing. And I, yeah. I think they lost something with Brogdon and switching him out for Wesley Matthews. I mean, they lose, obviously, something off the dribble. And they – and. You know, we can all simplify the Bucks as, oh, Giannis attacking and everybody else shooting. But no, they had Brogdon's ability to get to the basket and get into the paint as well was was big for them. And I think they're going to miss that. But who says that, you know, Antetokounmpo can't get better himself? Like, the dude still has... Uh, 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 yeah, Plenty exactly. Of ceiling, like, no question, so... No and just from watching the precinct, I mean, they just know who they are. They know what they're doing. They do it really well. Um, and that's why I, I elevated them. You know, I had, I was thinking Clippers number one, Bucks number two, basically in my initial power rankings. But then I, I flipped it. I said Bucks number one, Clippers number two, just because there's a, more of an unknown with the Clippers. And I think we know what the Bucks are. And, and right now we should just say, hey, they're the, their best team in the league and they were the best team in the league last year until uh, through game two of the conference finals. And then things fell apart. Right. Um, but I just feel like they're going into the season as this is the best team right now. And maybe, and yes, obviously the Clippers probably have a higher ceiling just with the talent that they have and the depth that they have. Um, but I just feel like day one, it's the bucks right now. And, and then we'll, we'll, you know, obviously uh, we're going to have every, team in league has questions to be answered. I just think they have the, the fewest basically. Which, which team in the East to you shoe has the red light on already in terms <laughs> of they got to They got to you know, I mean, they go into the season with the mandate of this has to be a, a turning point season. Like you got to go from wherever you were previously to that next level now, or we have to start examining what's going on and deciding if it's time to make a change or to go in a Well, I think direction. there's a few of those teams, but like just Philadelphia is one. Like, I think, you know, they have mm-hmm. to figure out if Embiid and Simmons works to the level that it should, just given how talented those two guys are. I mean, we've discussed their sort of offensive issues with, you know, Simmons occupying space in the paint when that should be Embiid, where Embiid catches the ball too, too often, uh, 25 feet from the basket, you know, and that's not, you know, his, his yeah. catches should be inside, but if Simmons is on the floor occupying that space, that becomes, um, you know, more difficult. So I think they, we have, you know, I, I definitely believe they have another, they deserve another season to, to, to figure this out. And if Simmons can space the floor just a little bit more, that, that can make a world of difference. Um, but that's a team that like, Hey, if this doesn't work, to a certain degree with how given how talented, talented these two guys are, maybe there's a, another direction they have to go with one or the other. And I, I, I imagine it would be stick with Embiid um, and find, uh, you know, compliment him where you can put four shooters around him. Um, but to a lesser degree, it's uh, a good question. Um, I guess Detroit like has, you know, I think they're just sort of waiting for Reggie Jackson's contract to come off the books, but um, Mm -hmm. they're just so dependent on Blake Griffin and Blake Griffin going into the season with an injury is not a good sign. And I think that team could um, be in trouble. Um, 
And then otherwise, I think Orlando, I think, has to take a step forward. They put, you know, they, they're trying to run it back. You know, they, they, they took yeah. a step forward last year uh, under Steve Clifford. They had a great defensive team. Um, but they, you know, they lost in the first round. And then they decided to, uh, to re-up with Vucevic and Terrence Ross to sort of run it back. I think they, I like the Aminu addition. Um, but if that doesn't get, that doesn't get them uh, beyond uh, the first round, then yeah, I think they've got to find somewhere. They've got to upgrade at one of those other positions, prob- you know, pre- preferably in the backcourt. Right. I, I look at Brooklyn and Boston, and I say to myself, these are two teams that are going to be operating with wildly unrealistic expectations. You know, people are going to assume, even with KD on the shelf, people are going to expect Brooklyn to take a leap because Kyrie and because they know what could be potentially on the horizon. I see Um, different expectations for the Nets. Like, I, I, you know, if you look at, like, the computer models, they all have all them, like, around the 40 to 42 win range and, and as a seven or eight seed. Yes, that's and that sounds right. That sounds reasonable. Yeah, I mean, but I don't think that's what the fan expectation. Yeah, is I be. guess, but I also I think the fans know that they got to wait one year. They got to wait a year for for, wait for Kevin Katie. Durant before they realize it. But that doesn't mean this would be a wasted year. I think they can obviously, um, they have obviously uh, work to do, and and I think um, you know you're my favorite net uh, is a big factor <laughs> if Karis LeVert takes a step forward and has a healthy season. I mean, he could be, you know, he could be the third star that this team needs or, and, but Mm -hmm. the other thing is they also have the potential with Levert, with uh, Jared Allen. They have all their picks to trade. I believe Um, they have the potential to trade for a third star. Should one become available? Like that's a team that has the ability to say, okay, we've got, Two great got two great players and a lot of depth. We can sacrifice some of that depth for a third great player. That's one of the teams I think that can do that. Denver in the West obviously is is another one. Um, yeah, and so I think I'm, I'm I'm fascinated to see the Nets. I think they can be good. I think um, yeah. I think if you're thinking they're the third or fourth best team in the East, that might be a little bit high expectations. Although um, you know I could I see them sort of as in the five to six range perhaps. Um, maybe behind Toronto and Boston. Um, but like I said, Levert, I, I'm, I've always been really high on Levert. He was their best player in the playoffs, and I think he could make a uh, a, a big leap and, and really, you know, uh, sort of raise expectations for them even before they get Durant back. Right. Um, the, Boston is my most intriguing team in the East to keep an eye on only because we've expected certain things out of their young guys. I don't think or don't feel like they lived up to it last year. Didn't have an opportunity to play up to it last year, the way they were constructed. Now you have a a different dynamic, not only with Kimball Walker in Kyrie's spot, but no Al Horford. Um, You know, so that settling influence is gone but also nothing in the way of, of Tatum and Brown continuing to develop their games and become the kind of players that everybody thinks they could be. Are, are they 
the most interesting team to you maybe in the East in that playoff? Mix? Yeah, I think so. And, and yeah, I think you can't discount. I mean, obviously they lost a ton with Horford and Baines. So they lost a ton defensively. Um, the question is now how well can they defend without those two guys? Um, and if they can make up for what they've lost defensively with offense. Um, and you say, yeah, nothing's in the way of Tatum and Brown, except for more wings. I mean, they still have, you know, Gordon Hayward um, and still have Marcus Smart who needs, you know, who's going to take time. Like I, and, and Kemba Walker is, is obviously going to control the ball quite a bit, not, maybe not as much as Kyrie Irving. But um, I, I question whether they, like, uh, you know, whether they need to trade one of their wings and maybe it's one of the young guys, maybe it's Hayward, I don't know, or one of their perimeter players for, for more inside. I mean, I think they have a lot of questions to answer with, whatever front line they have left, whether it's Daniel Tice or uh, Cantor or uh, Vincent Poirier, who they brought over from France, like all these guys have are not um, necessarily a starting five. And how do they, how do they deal with that? Um, And so, um, yeah, there's a lot of questions with this team. I I personally is, it's it's just how, how, what kind of, uh, level can they defend at they've always been a good defensive team or a solid defensive team under Brad Stevens but obviously they've always had Al Horford or and or Aaron Baines and so um it's a huge question for them and and like I said I think there's a trade potential if they feel like things aren't working out uh to the level they want it to be um if they can go uh, trade a small for a big finally shoe on the east give me one team that's that's being slept on. Who's the team that's not on everybody's radar that we should be watching out for this year in the Eastern Conference? I don't know if there is one. Like I I I I like the Hawks, just how fun they are, but I mean they're gonna be terrible defensively. Um there are like four teams that are just gonna be really bad. That's just I mean, Charlotte, Cleveland, um New York and Washington, like those four yeah. teams are, are going to be bad. Um, and so I, I, you're not sleeping. If you don't like any of those four teams, you're not sleeping on any one of them. I I'm right there with you. Uh, you canceling Christmas <laughs> in four cities. Uh, maybe I'm sleeping on Indiana. I don't know. Like, I just <laughs> think they lost so much of their rotation last year that it's hard to believe that they can just sort of pick up where they left off even if they mm-hmm. get Victor Oladipo um, back relatively early and relatively uh, healthy as far as just being back to, to, to full strength, Victor Oladipo. So I, I think there's, you know, once you get beyond the top six, there's lots of questions. I think Chicago could be interesting. Like Chicago has the potential. They have the talent. And I liked the vets that they brought in where it's Sadoransky um, Otto Porter last season and then Thaddeus Young like that will make them a more professional basketball team and 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 uh, that's huge um, and so I think Chicago is the team that can sort of take a leap um, in the east yeah well we, look and all we're doing is forecast right now Shu. I mean we're one night in um, plenty of season to be played we'll see who does what but uh, appreciate you taking a little time. We'll talk again soon, obviously, about power rankings. I know you've cranked them up already. 
Um, but we'll have a little bit uh, better data to work with, obviously, uh, once we get through the first week of the regular season. So uh, talk soon about power rankings and, and more. Um, appreciate your time, man. All right, talk I'm going to start to uh, put together some trivia questions for you, too. <laughs> appreciate right. that. All right, shoot. Thanks for listening to Seku Smith's Hang Time Podcast. Be sure to check out previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NBA.com backslash Hang Time, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, Hoops fans. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge, now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip-off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.